Whoop. I was just checking with Sarah to see if this was our first or second day. <laughs> she thought for a moment, I thought this is our second full day of practice. <laughs> but uh, it's our first day after opening night. So, you know. Surprising how many experiences, uh, you know, kind of what you go through in a day, just one day on a retreat. Um, so the challenges that you meet on that first day. So I, I think this is the first time I've given a talk with one functional arm. So I'm curious to see how that goes. <laughs> I kind of like to use this arm to, you know, emphasize something. And I'm going to have to go lefty tonight, I guess. Um, I'm usually a righty. So tonight, I'd like to talk about how we can discover more ease in our meditation practice, you know, in this path of awakening that um, we're exploring uh, during our time together. And a significant aspect of meditation practice is, you know, getting to know oneself, you know, cultivating a much closer look, a more intimate relationship with oneself, and, and kind of seeing very directly, and I think retreats are, are an incredible form to begin to look at kind of what we've accumulated along the way, like the habits of mind that we've accumulated along the way that don't serve us, you know, that work against our freedom and ease. Because that's oftentimes what we begin to awaken first. You know, sometimes we have those moments where we awaken and we look and we discover, wow, there's this real potential for calm and freedom. Even early in the practice, we can have those openings sometimes. But a lot of practice is discovering what isn't working, kind of what kinds of habits, what, what, what's, what are we doing you know, to ourselves and others that generate suffering. You know, we get to take a look at it in a very direct way. And what the Buddha said was, that's crucial. That's it. We have to understand what we're doing in order to be free of suffering, free of the kind of habits that generate suffering for us. In other words, we can't bypass that awareness. You know, we can't just be free and easy and happy. We have to understand um, what we're doing and, and what's going on in our hearts and what's going on in our minds. And yet, beginning to understand it in a fundamentally new way. Because we can know some things about ourselves, but that knowing often is conditioned. You know, we've accumulated a lot of ideas and concepts about who we are and who we should be and who we shouldn't be. 
And so we experience ourselves and also others through that lens. And we can see this on retreat. Uh, we can begin to discover some of the habits that you know, create trouble for us, that make our life very difficult. And it's important to begin to see that and to, to begin to pay attention in an, in an open-hearted, non-judgmental way because that's the way that habits, we let go of habits, is through that open-hearted awareness. When we're not reinforcing those habits anymore, we're seeing them, and there's a fundamentally radical difference between seeing something that you're not, seeing something that's not working versus just playing out what's not working. In other words, waking up from being unconscious, kind of unwise, lacking compassion, to, to a place where we're much more conscious, we're aware of what we're doing, and we relate to our pain in a fundamentally different way, with compassion. So one of the habits that we carry with us, and we certainly carry these habits in our daily life too, um, is there's a strong tendency to cling to expectations of ourselves. Of course, we cling to expectations of others too. We're going to talk about our expectations of ourselves tonight more. In other words, what we do is we, te- we have a strong tendency, and I think certainly in this culture, there's a lot of it. And that is, you know, we kind of impose demands on ourselves. And when we impose demands, when we cling to an expectation of where, what should be happening and what shouldn't be happening, it creates a tremendous sense of non-relaxation. You know, it, it inhibits our ability to relax and discover ease. Dis-ease is what we encounter. And one of the forms of that is a lot of the judging, the comparing, the evaluating, the framing our practice and our experiences within the framework of success and failure. You know, oftentimes it's like, good, that's good, that was a good sit, that was a good walk, that was a really lousy sit, that was a really lousy walk. Uh, comparing oneself to your neighbor, they're really quiet. Me, I can't sit still for two minutes. Um, they really must have been practicing for a really long time. And, they're really having a great time over there. Um, and I would suggest that that um, is speculation on your part. Okay? They might be. <laughs> but then again, they might not be. Um, so we do a lot of that sometimes on retreat. As the retreat unfolds, um, you know, we can compare and evaluate ourselves, we compare and evaluate different sittings and different times of day. Morning is better than the afternoon. You know, I hear that a lot. And, you know, what it means is more energy and interest in the morning. And, you know, you feel sleepy and dull and all of that in the afternoon. And so there's a valuing of the morning session and a devaluing of the afternoon session. But the reality is, even if there's sleepiness and all that, there's just as much value in that as the the morning energy state or whatever. Uh, Because when we are feeling particularly sleepy. Now, is there something objectively... This is rhetorical. Is there something objectively wrong with being sleepy? Objectively. 
I would suggest no. Like when you go to bed at night, great. You know, sometimes people are like falling off their cushions all day. They go to bed and they're wide awake. You know, that's actually happened to me a few times, well, actually many times. Um, so there's nothing, you know, we need to be sleepy, right? We need to sleep. But in the context of sitting in meditation, when you've traveled and you come, there's an expectation that that's not what's going to happen. Maybe we have a daily practice. You know, this, this sometimes comes up too. We have a daily practice. We've been sitting 30 minutes a day. And, you know, it's been going really well, so well, that you come to a retreat like this. And then you start sitting and, you know, it's not unfolding that way. You think, it, well, it's this way. So the next sit, when I go on retreat, it's going to be like a lot better right away because I'm doing it so much. But then what happens is we run into sleepiness, you know, for a few sittings or for the, all sittings, for all, for all we know. I've certainly had retreats where sitting, sleeping was coming up on a pretty regular basis. And my expectation was that I should have the energy in the wakefulness when I'm sitting uh, to be able to you know, get enlightened or, or just be present or be mindful of a few breaths or whatever it might be. And so what I did and what a lot of folks do is when the mind is sleepy and dull, there's, that's one expression of what's going on in the body-mind process, but then what do we do with it? And then oftentimes what happens is there's a lot of judging and a lot of uh, frustration sometimes and discouragement. And oftentimes it's one of the fo- major forms sometimes early on in retreat of self-doubt or doubt, just doubt, maybe not just self-doubt, but doubt in what you're doing and the, pra- the practice and all the books that you're reading, they didn't talk about like this. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, it's not supposed to be like this. Um, and so having that expectation, that's where we're creating. So we're adding, we have the sleepiness and then we're adding something to it. To that mix. And what we're adding is suffering. That's what we're doing. Because what would be the worst thing that could happen to you on the cushion if you were feeling sleepy? You'd fall asleep, right? I mean, that is not that bad. I mean, if your head falls down, you know, I've, I've seen a few people fall asleep uh, while I'm sitting up here, I think. At least they look like it, the head's down, uh, like really down. Um, it's not that bad, you know, they're quiet. You know, just dreaming, maybe having a nice dream, who knows. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's kind of like we, we create that suffering for ourselves. And, and um, it, you know, we're imposing a story. We're imposing an idea that this sleepiness shouldn't be happening. And that's where we're suffering. If we're feeling sleepy, we can work with it. We can stand, we can open our eyes, we can go through that whole process. You know, working with it with some discernment and some compassion, recognizing that, yeah, sure, you know, it, it's, it can be painful sometimes falling asleep uh, in, on some level, emotionally or whatever, uh, because we're disappointed. So holding that with some compassion. You know, it's not saying, you don't have to say, oh, yeah, sleepiness is great. But when we react to it with a lot of judging, a lot of condemning, um, we want to begin to see if we can bring more awareness to that relationship and understand that the path is about the path is not about never feeling sleepy the path is about understanding how we generate suffering for ourselves and learning how to undo that to disentangle that and so even when we're feeling sleepy there can be a lot to learn in that process because what we also want to do is see what how we're holding that you know how are we holding what are we doing in relationship to that what are we telling ourselves about that experience that's that might be causing us suffering 
you know, some of us may not be engaging in that. Some of us may be really happy, you know, because they're dreaming and going off. But a lot, of, mostly, people when they come on retreat, if they're feeling sleepy for an extended period of time, most of it, mostly, it leads to a lot of discouragement and aversion and resistance. And sometimes we turn that that aversion towards ourself, or sometimes we might turn the aversion to the conditions. You know, why aren't why isn't it this way? Why isn't it that way? So, so these expectations that we have, we can, we can begin to um, disentangle that. And the way to do it is to recognize when we're holding those expectations. See, we could say, okay, we'll practice without expectation. Well, that's not that easy, frankly. And the more we understand, the deeper we go into Dharma, the more we begin to see subtle expectations that we might be having. Sometimes they're subtle, sometimes they're not. And they don't die that easily, first of all. I mean, we can carry expectations along with us uh, for quite a ways into the path, uh, that's for sure. Um, you know, just looking at this retreat for me, for instance, uh, you know, falling on that stairway, um, you know, on opening day, coming, arriving, um, you know, I had an agenda about like, what, you know, what I was going to do in the retreat, how it was going to go. And all of that, and I, you know, fell and did this, um, and it's getting better. But basically, it wasn't what I expected, right? Didn't expect that, that to happen. But then I also, but so there's that suffering and the pain, right? Of like having injured your body, and probably everybody here has injured their body at one point or another, and there's pain. But then there's also what we do with it, and of course, what I did afterwards, and and Sarah was there when I was doing it was I really launched into a lot of self-judging. You know, there was like a lot of self-criticism about how careless I was, you know, why, did it, why didn't I just take one bag up instead of two, you know, and I, going through this whole litany of things that I did wrong, you know, kind of very kind of condemning. And there was a lot of energy in it because, you know, I didn't want to be dealing with the pain and I didn't, you know, sort of want this to happen, right? Um, but fortunately, Sarah was kind of, pointing out to me that, yeah, I hurt myself, but I was also doing this, which is all the self-criticism and self-judging. And that's kind of like, you know, my story, my conditioning, my whatever. And that's where, that's what I could do something about. Like, I can take care of the arm or whatever. But with practice, you know, we can take care of that other piece and then just deal with the situation. And so eventually, you know, I got to the place where I, I could see that there was just all this resistance and self-criticism and that, that I was generating that suffering for myself. And I realized, you know, uh, that I didn't really need to keep doing that. You know, I wasn't telling myself another story like, don't do it. I just realized that I didn't need to pay my, I, I needed to respond to the current situation, but I didn't need to be adding all this to it. And there has been a lot more relaxation and ease around it. And it's because I'm not sitting there judging it anymore. I'm not like down on myself for that. And so that's, that's taking practice into your life and uh, seeing what we do. Stories we tell ourselves about just basic experiences that we're not even in control of. Like our bodies. We're not, we don't get to call our shots. But we do have some say over what we do with that. And that's so much of what practice is. When we practice the Dharma, when we practice meditation, when we practice awakening, it doesn't mean that all the conditions we 
are going to be encountering in our life are going to be conditions that we like or that are agreeable. We all know this anyways, right? But, you know, it, it, what it means is, is that we're developing this capacity to respond to the challenges and conditions that we all encounter on this, in this life and yet learn to respond in a way that actually frees us, that we actually begin to understand that we don't have to keep playing out this particular habit anymore, that this habit is kind of irrelevant. And in fact, in many ways, the habit can be very undermining. And a lot of this shift can be nurtured by just cultivating a different kind of attitude in practice and cultivating a different kind of attitude in oneself. You know, and an attitude which is recognizing that the way out of suffering is dealing with the way things are and the way we learn to deal with things as they are is be allowing and open-hearted with things as they're unfolding. But that's not that easy. Good example, again, from my own life. I met this uh, John master, m- must have been maybe 10 years ago. And that's outside of this tradition. It's kind of like similar to Zen, but his approach was quite a bit different. He emphasized it was just softer, more relaxed, more open, more compatible, I would say. This, this might sound like, you know, we may, this retreat, if you knew, may seem really like really hard, you know, tough form, you know, and all that. And, and you know, it, it is. You know, if you're used to just doing workshops and things like that, it's hard. Um, uh, but, you know, this is kind of form that, you know, we do individual walking, you know, the sittings of 45, but we often trim those so that they're not that long, actually, in the schedule. I don't know if you noticed that, especially early on. Uh, nice wake up, 6 o'clock. Uh, yes, today. Uh, with six. Um, so, but I met this Chan master who was just a tremendous teacher for me. And I, I practiced with him for maybe six or, six or seven years. I, I'd go on these retreats. Like oftentimes they were like 10-day retreats. And I was going for the teaching, you know. I mean, he really had something for me to learn, even though it wasn't Vipassana or any of that. You know, and we can learn outside of this tradition from so many different sources, right? Hopefully we do. Uh, but I was very inspired, and I could feel, you know, he was just way, way further along than me. You know, I could just feel it. You know, he was very awakened and compassionate, you know, just the kind of qualities that I really uh, resonate with or admire. And so I started doing these retreats, and I, especially my first retreat, extremely challenging, because I'd been used to this style of practice, both as a yogi and as a teacher, you know, both as, you know, being out there as a retreatant, but also as a teacher. And, you know, it's, it is kind of an individualistic style practice, you know, kind of, you know, you're figuring what, what anchor, what mindfulness anchor you use, you know, there's, there's, there's a certain, doing teaching metta, you know, things like that. It's, it's softer and, and it's what I like personally, what I resonate with. This was a very different style. Even though his approach, in some ways, was relaxed, it wasn't the kind of relaxed that we necessarily think of as relaxed. Um, so I go to this first retreat. It was the dead of the winter, and the conditions were really, the center was just beginning to get built. And so there was very 
very basic conditions. Um, wake up was 4 a.m. Bedtime was 10. You practiced every minute. You lived every minute of the day with the group. Even when you went to the bathroom, it was a group bath. It was like a men's room and a women's room. Um, you know, it was like there was never a moment where you felt like you were left alone. And that's pretty hard. That was hard for me. You know, I like my privacy a little bit. I like to, you know, control my practice a little bit, you know, and kind of do my own method and all of that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I was there for the teaching and I was going to take up the method and all that. Um, but what I noticed when I first retreat was there was definitely a lot of judging and a lot of evaluating and a lot of resistance to the kinds of the way it was unfolding. Uh, you know, the 4 a.m. wake up was challenging, but the way we were woken up, not like these bells that are like, you know, dun, you know, that kind of thing, really nice, pleasant sound if somebody knows how to ring them. Um, no, it was a wooden block and a hammer, and, and the hammer would hit the wooden block. And I was sharing a room, which was the meditation hall, with 40 other men. And I was on the floor. And we weren't getting a lot of sleep, you know, like very, very little sleep. People were like having a lot of nightmares. And I was studying with a lot of, uh, you know, Chinese, China's Chinese, a lot of uh, Chinese who were living in New York, they would come to these retreats. Fortunately, unfortunately, they were doing a lot of screaming and yelling in their sleep, which is not that uncommon to kind of discharge stuff in practice. And I was grateful that it was in Chinese and not English because. <laughs> Frankly, all I heard was screaming, and I didn't really know what they were screaming about. So I was happy about that. Uh, but it, was, it did disturb my sleep, um, little I had. Um, and, and they would come around and bang the block, uh, like a few feet from your head. Okay, 4 o'clock in the morning, no sleep, banging a wooden block next to my head. Uh, yeah. And, of course, I'm saying, like, why do they have to do that? You know, like, why do they have to use a wooden block with a hammer? Smashing it sequentially, uh, like within feet of where you're sleeping, right? Like, it didn't make sense. <laughs> and in some ways, it still doesn't make sense. But it happens to be a thousand-year-old tradition, right? <laughs> so, you know, and, and so was the wooden block going to go? Or was I going to go? Or was I going to change? The wooden block wasn't going to change. That tradition was not going to change. You know, if I was going to do it, I needed to work with that. Right? I needed to work with that or I could have left, I guess, but there was no way I was going to leave. And so, you know, it was intense practice and group practice and all that. And there was a lot of teaching going on. And he would come into the hall and give these really long talks. They were wonderful talks. Um, and he'd come in and say, you know, retreats are like a vacation. <laughs> and I would like, honestly, it, I didn't really understand at all what he was talking about. It just, I said, this is like a vacation. This is not my, my idea of a vacation. <laughs> I have different concepts of vacation than that. Uh, this was hard work. But then eventually, you know, I realized, because I'm a yogi, I'm, I'm practicing, you know, paying attention to what I'm doing, you know, trying anyways, you know, seeing how I'm reacting to things. And I began to see that there are these conditions that are different than what I'm used to, and, you know, I don't have to like them, but I really do have to take responsibility. I'm there. I really need to, like, work with my resistance and begin to recognize that. And when I started doing that, 
a lot of the resistance started dropping away. It wasn't like I fell in love with that particular way of running a retreat. But boy, it really, I really started feeling like I was in the flow of things. And all the resistance of the group practice. And we used to do this chanting like, like two hours a day. And I'm like, that is not my thing. Um, so a lot of resistance would come up around that. You know, like, why do we have to do this every morning and every evening? Uh, and then I just started, and pretty soon I was joining in. You know, I was really silent, kind of judging, beginning. But then after a while, I just started cranking it out with everybody else. And, you know, it started feeling like I was feeling freer, you know, under the same conditions. And so what I realized was that, of course, I carry in my views and opinions, my expectations on this situation. And I was choosing to be there, so that meant I really needed to work with it. And it wasn't a situation that I could say, speak up and say, well, let's not wake up at four. Uh, let's not use the wooden block anymore. Wouldn't it be better to do a bell? That doesn't fly in, in that situation. You, you, you really have to work with it. And I wanted to be there. And so my work wasn't just the four o'clock wake up, but it was what I was doing in relationship to it. And fortunately, we all have a lot of power over how that unfolds, that we have some say over what we're doing in relationship to things. And so much of Dharma practice is exactly that. You know, it's responding to the conditions that we encounter, both in the body and the mind and the environment and the world that we're living in, and developing a capacity, developing the inner resources so that we can respond to whatever we encounter with more discernment, you know, with more equanimity. You know, the kind of practice that we're doing, those are the qualities that come out of this practice eventually doesn't always feel that way on first day or second day or whatever. But these, are the, these literally, this practice is developing those qualities, those inner resources. Because we are always going to encounter conditions in our life that we don't like, that we think should be different. And we, can, we don't have to be passive in the face of those conditions. We don't have to be resigned to those conditions. We can be active in trying to change conditions that don't feel right. But at the same time, if we can do that with some degree of equanimity, you know, with some degree of balance and some degree of discernment in terms of how to go about that, and oftentimes that takes a certain amount of equanimity and clear thinking, then you know, we, can be, we can facilitate the kind of changes that we need to make. But obviously I wasn't about to change a thousand-year-old tradition just because I didn't like it. So... Um, and that's the case sometimes with our bodies, you know, too. I mean, just on that basic level, you know, our bodies don't always accommodate what our desires are or what we aspire for our bodies. You know, you just don't always have control, but we have some say um, over that. So with that, I don't know if I finished that story with Sarah, but, but basically we're pointing out to me, you know, that resistance um, was actually really helpful, although it didn't go away right away. I have to say that. I have to cop to that. It didn't just... I had a little resistance to the, fi- the uh, feedback, actually. <laughs> a little pushback there. You don't know how painful this is. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway. Um, so, so, developing this attitude that's more, I mean, th- I'll have to say this is just so liberating, you know, if we, if we can nurture an attitude that is more allowing, you know, of what our authentic experience is. That's not a small thing, but it's tremendously empowering when we can face and be with 
with loving it with a loving relationship with the, what our authentic self is. So if we're feeling anxiety, it's knowing that, but not knowing it, not adding a whole bunch to it. Or if we're feeling sleepy, not adding a whole bunch to it. You know, but learning to to uh, you know be more allowing, uh, rest with the, what our actual experience is. You'll never hear an insight teacher, at least I never have, and it's not right teaching, I think, if you heard this, is that you should be having a particular experience. Like you should be more mindful, you should be more peaceful, uh, you know, you should be more concentrated, you should like these conditions, you should be a happy meditator or any of that. You'd never hear that because it's not about imposing a particular, manufacturing a particular experience. That just fuels the expectation or the self-criticism or all the stuff that we we uh, dump on ourselves. No, it's, it's really about being with whatever your experience is and learning to relate to it in a different way. And this attitude shift of being more allowing is so helpful. And there's a practice that I've done quite a bit. Uh, when I am facing like a lot of resistance or um, I can see that I'm expecting something and there's uh, you know, that expectation that uh, it shouldn't be happening, that all of that. Um, and, the, and, and it's an inquiry question. It's a question one can ask oneself: Is can I make room for this? You know, can I make room for the sleepiness? Can I make room for the restlessness? Can I make room for the boredom? It doesn't mean you have to like it, but can we just allow ourselves to have that experience, even if it's just for a few moments? You know, we might not feel like we want to be allowing of it, you know, throughout the whole day, but just you know, being in that place of discouragement or something or whatever we're feeling and just saying, okay, can I make room for just what's happening now? You know? And for me, that was such a powerful practice. And when I go back to that Sheng Yin time, you know, those retreats, a lot of it was just, can I make room for these conditions? You know? And then it came to, can I make room for the way I was reacting to those conditions? And out of that comes greater ease. You know? But sometimes when you say, can I make room, you're going to get a no. Frankly, you know, realistically, you know, I mean, realistically, just saying if you're in pain or you're, you know, in a mental state that's really causing a lot of uh, emotional pain or whatever, you might say, can I make room? But then there's no way you want it to go away. You want to get rid of it. You want it to to change. Uh, And so there's that resistance, right, that's happening. And so then you could ask yourself, well, can I just make room for this self-criticism or this resistance or this fear that might be coming up around it? So I encourage you, you know, if, if it happens, it may not, if you're in a place that there is a certain level of resistance going on, whatever it might be, and you're bound to experience some moments of resistance during a retreat. Um, acknowledge the resistance, recognize it, you know, it's happening. Sometimes you can see, sometimes it helps to identify what the expectation was. That, that actually can help me sometimes, like I... Like with the sleepiness, my expectation is I expect to have a lot of energy. You know, I expect meditation will give me energy. So that would be the expectation. Or a good meditator should have energy. So that would be the concept, the story I was telling myself. And so sometimes if I just say, oh, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm not analyzing it. It's just, it's just paying attention to it and seeing, oh, yeah, I'm thinking that I should, you know, uh, have more energy or just feel better or whatever it might be. And... So can I make room is, a, from my end, a very powerful uh, practice.
So one thing we're working on is our cultural conditioning, our habits, right? Like all of us are subject to cultural conditioning, right? We learn things and then we relate to life through that conditioning, okay? And I'm sure nobody's, that doesn't come to a shock to anybody, I'm sure, in the room. But, but oftentimes we do relate to the present moment and the relationships we encounter and the situations and conditions from a conditioned place, from a place that we've learned to relate to certain things in certain ways. Um, and um, quite a bit of it can be unconscious. So, of course, on a path of awakening, that's what we're facilitating, right? We're, moving, we're shifting from the unconscious, right? Habitual reactions and bias and views and all that to more conscious living, more aware of what we're doing, less habitual, more in the present moment. Mind is more open, receptive, letting in new information. But it is important to recognize how powerful conditioning is. Just, just like how much of it affects our relationship to ourselves and the world we're living in with others. And just kind of a, a micro example of this was when I was on, I mentioned I was on staff at IMS um, in the late 70s, early 80s. And, um, it, you know, the retreats were a lot smaller than that now, you know, a lot smaller. And um, staff, there were much less staff, you know, it was a little bit more easygoing. I felt like we were fairly hard, but nothing like the staff does now. Um, and I remember one year when I just arrived, uh, arrived in the summer, I came on staff in the summer, uh, this teacher that was going to come had a 30-day retreat scheduled, and he canceled, like at the last minute. So there was going to be no retreat for a month, and I had just come on staff. So we actually had a lot of free time. And of course, having a lot of free time sometimes leads to trouble, um, even for meditators. So you have to watch out for that. We don't get much free time these days, a lot of us. But um, So what happened was is that there were some tennis courts in downtown Barrie. I told you this is just a, you know, not a big deal, but it is illustrative of kind of even meditators, committed meditators can fall into traps along the way, that's for sure. So we started, so me and this other guy started playing tennis. I grew up, I didn't grow up playing tennis. That just wasn't part of my family or culture or background, whatever. So we would go down and a couple of used rackets, and we'd go down, we'd just bang it around. We were having really a great time. It was great, because, you know, you're in your body, you're running, and, you know, we're playing hard and all that. Um, and so we would come back, and we'd be all, you know, energized and all this. And, and so some of the other staff people started catching on to it and wanting to play tennis, too. So pretty soon people started playing. And then someone had this uh, brilliant, brilliant meaning sarcastic idea that um, we should have a tournament. Um, and we should establish this tournament. So someone draw, drew up all these charts, you know, like you see in these professional tournaments, you know, the winners go on to this and, you know, this and all that. So we create this whole thing, you know, I don't know who did it. I didn't do it, but I thought the tournament was a good idea because I thought I was going to win. Um, <laughs> I didn't. Um, so we started playing. And what started kicking in was like this competitive stuff, you know, that we were carrying with us. And there's nothing wrong with playing sports or playing sports hard or whatever, but just follow me with this story. So we started, uh, started getting really competitive. 
And then people would come back to the center and they would be teasing people about losing. And, you know, there'd be little jokes about this. And, and there was going to be a trophy for the winner, like a $5 or something, movie pass or something. I don't know. Uh, we didn't have much money back then. Um, so, you know, and pretty soon, as the tournament was unfolding, you could see a lot of the joy of what we had initially started experiencing. We could begin to see it was just dissipating. You know, and it became, started getting a little bit more serious. And it just didn't, it started just not feeling good. You know, like we started out, you know, just trying to enjoy this process and we turned it into like a nightmare, you know, where we were just having a really miserable time eventually. You know, and, and I think everybody was grateful that the tournament was over and nobody played tennis anymore. We just dropped it. It just literally dropped. Nobody said anything. Nobody even knew what was going on. We didn't see what we were doing. That's kind of the point of the story. You know, we didn't see what we were doing, that we were losing some of the joy that was there at the beginning. Okay. And we dropped tennis, you know, and we just went on, moved on, and I don't think I ever picked up a tennis racket again. Um, but what happens? So you think we would have learned something, right? We didn't. The winter comes. We pull out the ping pong table <laughs> from down in the basement. And I liked that game. So we started playing. And then again, let's have a tournament. Again, we have the tournament. I won this one. We have the tournament. Nobody plays ping pong after the tournament's over. I mean, I'm, this is truth. It, it just, people lost interest. And what I saw eventually, looking back at it, was, you know, we really weren't paying attention. We weren't being really mindful of what kind of, what our conditioning was around this particular activity. And that it was triggering a lot of the stuff that we learned in our younger years. So this kind of stuff, you know, we're waking up to that. And what we can see is that we don't, as we wake up, you know, now I'm sure, you know, Many of us have been practicing for, you know, a while, but, you know, practices evolve. The teachings have evolved, and I, I really think that if we had gotten teachings, you know, in a little bit different way that maybe addressed more like everyday life stuff, which is done now, uh, we might have picked up on it, you know, because after the tournament, you know, after we'd finished fighting it out, we'd go and we'd sit, you know, in peace, you know, together, and nobody would really see what we were doing. So, to me, that was... Um, really um, interesting and what I see with practice it's so helpful is to have some degree to like because we have such expectations because we are so conditioned around success and failure and so conditioned that when we put out effort and energy into something there needs to be a result and that that result needs to be apparent and because we're deeply conditioned to be impatient we expect that result to occur now. You know? And so we don't really give ourselves that room to just go through the experience. You know, like in work and jobs, oftentimes there's expectation. You have to fulfill it. You have to produce all of that. The attitude we go and practice is let's just slow down a little bit. Let's take it. Like let's go into the present moment and see kind of let's just see what we discover. We're not manufacturing anything. You know, we're just trying to discover what we're doing and whether we can do it differently. 
Can we do it in a way that um, leads to more peace, more relaxation, more ease? And we can. We have that capacity to do it. It's a matter of cultivating those inner resources. That, that's exactly what we're doing now. You know, inner resources that we can take along in our life. Um, one thing I'm very clear about, and I see this over and over again, is that when we're practicing waking up, when we're practicing awareness, and not necessarily just in this context, but we can practice anywhere, um, we're not really just practicing for ourselves you know, and our freedom. You know, you'll hear that a lot. We are really practicing for others. And my experience is that um, the way out of being a problem, the way out of creating trouble, the way out the way towards being a resource to others, a, a reliable resource to others, is developing these qualities like mindfulness, awareness, self-knowledge, understanding the nature of suffering and understanding a path of freedom, like how do we generate suffering. If we don't understand how human beings, how myself generate suffering and what can be done about it, then oftentimes you know, we might have the best of intentions, but we might not have the wisdom. You know, we might have a lot of delusion around that. You know, and so the kind of resource that we are isn't necessarily an effective one. So getting to know ourselves, cultivating patience and the perseverance that it requires of us, you know, kind of the ability, to, the desire and the ability and the commitment to show up for yourself, you know, to take a look at it. Um, it's really um, uh, a wonderful um, it's a wonderful energy, intention, manifestation of where we all need to go you know, on this planet, is we need to be able to develop an ability to respect each other. And when we're not being conscious, when we're playing out our condition, cultural conditioning, or when we're not being mindful, when we're being unconscious, we create trouble. And when we uh, talked about the precepts, you know, to me, like you know, not killing, not stealing, not you know, no sexual misconduct, misuse of intoxicants, all of those, you know, they're mindfulness practices. It takes a certain, it's not a commandment, it's, it's being present and mindful and understanding. See, this is the thing that we often don't see because of habits of mind, but what we do has an impact. You know, it has an impact on others. And so the more conscious we are, the better the impact is going to be. You know, the more unconscious, the more we play out our conditioning, you know, we've learned a lot of unskillful ways of relating to ourselves and others. The more we play that out in an unconscious way, well, the more likely we'll generate harm, you know. The more likely that we'll live um, in a way that creates a lot of tension for us and that, that's not a lot of ease in our life. So I just want to finish by just kind of, uh, you know, when we talk about working with our conditioning, we talk about waking up, we talk about waking up to our habits and developing qualities like mindfulness and more equanimity, more patience, more perseverance. Those are the qualities that are really going to serve you through your life. You know, money, a lot of things, they come and go. 
But these are the qualities that are going to serve you from now until you die, you know, if you develop those qualities. And they'll serve others, too, uh, simultaneously. Um, but I also think it's, it's important that we understand you know, that this undertaking of waking up and being with yourself right, takes courage, frankly, to be with yourself, you know, to face and encounter things that we might not like about ourselves or, or, you know, deal with the reactions that we have towards things. To be awake takes, you know, to be awake takes a certain degree of courage, but also an understanding that it, it, it's the path, you know, it's a path that is going to lead to a greater sense of connection. And it's, um, there's so many benefits and fruits in it. It's really, from my perspective, the only way to live is, is to wake up in life. And that we'll get a lot of... Uh, Satisfaction out of that makes our life really worthwhile. Um, but we are working against the stream, you know, with this particular path. And what I mean by that, Buddha talked about that, is that we're asking ourselves to do something different. You know, I think that's very important to realize. And you may not want to ask that of yourself, maybe after first day. Um, you might be looking for the exit door. Um, but we are asking ourselves it's just important to realize that we're asking ourselves to do something fundamentally different. Instead of just sitting around thinking about our experiencing, analyzing, figuring out, all of that kind of stuff, we're actually trying to connect with mindfulness, which is giving us an unfiltered experience of what we're, what we're going through. And there's, there needs to be like a willingness to, to do that. Um, and uh, understanding that, you know, it's a bit of an undertaking. Uh, but it's worthwhile. That's really what I want to say. It's tremendously worthwhile. It's it's the way to live a life, I think. Um, so, but you know, it is asking a lot to show up and just be with yourself and to renounce. We've talked about that. There's been a lot of renunciation. You know, I think especially for the new students who haven't been on retreats before. Uh, there's a lot of renunciation of things that bring us comfort, um, the things that we rely on. Um, you know, that give us pleasure, um, that, you know, things that we even do, you know, for personal growth and all of that. Um, there's, there is definitely, you know, we're surrendering to some extent to the conditions. It doesn't mean we like them, but there's a renunciation. Um, and so um, I just kind of want to acknowledge and have appreciation for that and realize that uh, we're not just... Um, you know, sitting, it's not an endurance contest. It's really about, you know, developing uh, yourself so that, um, you know, life has more meaning. And we feel more connected, you know, on a moment-to-moment level. And to me, that's so important, you know, to to begin to... Uh, cultivate a greater sense of connection that we're all in this together um, and to, to move in that direction, to live from that place. It's probably the way to uh, more peace, which we need both within us and in the planet, on the planet. Okay? So um, let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.